Right. Good morning. It's good to see you all here today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm uh, very thankful to be worshiping here with you. If you're a guest with us, I want to give you an extra special welcome, and, and thank you for joining us. There's a welcome card inside your, uh, your worship guide, so if you wouldn't mind just putting your name and email address on that and putting it in the offering box on your way out. Uh, I would love to say hi to you this week if I don't get a chance to, uh, to catch up with you here today. Uh, also, we have a free gift for you if you're a guest, and so uh, uh, please stop over at the Welcome Center, and there's, uh, there's a little uh, bag full of uh, things from us to you. Um, there's not, excuse me, there's not a whole lot on the agenda uh, today for announcements. You can look in your bulletin and see most of them. Uh, however, there is um, uh, one that I do want to shout out for the Every Meal Food Pack that we're going to be doing on October 14th down in Roseville. Uh, if you have that day open and you've been thinking about it, I want to ask you to sign up like as soon as possible. Uh, Every Meal is going to want to know kind of what our numbers are here in the next two weeks. And uh, they need to open up more spots if we don't have uh, some more folks coming, coming in. And so uh, sign up for that. You can see the link is in uh, your bulletin there about, um, I don't know, a third down or so, where it says the Every Meal Food Packing event. And to show you sort of the need and what, um, how this impacts our community, we started delivering meals again at Mora Elementary this past week. And um, we, we handed out about 45 uh, bags of food, which was about average for last year, about 45 or so a week. And as we were doing our distribution, our on-site coordinator, who's one of the counselors at Moore Elementary, she pulled me aside and said, just to let you know, we have had some more registrations. So next week, you're going to have 30 more children that are going to be on the list. And I said, wow, that's about 30 more than we had last year. And she said, well, We've gotten even more than that that I can't put on the schedule till October. So uh, we are potentially looking at uh, close to 100 kids here in the next couple of weeks. So the need is great. So really going down to Roseville and doing this food pack is something that, that really does make an impact in, uh, in our community. So I want you to seriously consider that. Um, I will uh, post a video on Facebook this week or send it out in the email uh, about what it would look like. Um, for uh, just those two hours. And so if you have any questions, certainly let me know, um, and I would love to uh, help you out with that. And so uh, we're going to be uh, praising the Lord here in song in just a minute, but just a couple of notes of prayer. Uh, be praying for the family of, of Dana Flugi. Uh, Dana was a, a lady in our community that, uh, that many people knew, and she passed away this, uh, this just a couple days ago. And so uh, we want to be in prayer for that family. And also, we're going to be praying here uh, before we get started for the Ponto family. They have a fairly uh, big week coming up. Uh, tomorrow is the, the sentencing hearing uh, for, uh, for their attacker. And um, obviously, that, that brings up a lot of emotion. And it's, it's, it's going to be a very, very tough day for them. And so we want to, to pray for them. Also, Becky has a, a, a consult with um, another doctor to look at her eye that he would uh, have wisdom and some insight and hopefully some good news for her to, um, to be able to uh, make that happen. And so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then uh, we'll have the worship team come up. So let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you are, um, you are a good God. You are slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. 
You are patient and kind. You're also a God of justice. And Lord, we thank you that this, this man that, uh, that caused so much evil and did so much evil, we thank you, Lord, that he is behind bars. And we thank you, God, that your justice is being administered. And so, Father, we pray that tomorrow that you would put it in the judge's heart to give maximum sentences for the multiple accounts. Lord, I pray for the family as this obviously is going to be a very emotional and difficult day. I pray that as they face him and that there are impact statements read, that you would be known to be good and that you would be known to be a vindicator of the righteous. And so, Lord, we pray that the family would rest in you, Lord, because vengeance belongs to you. Lord, we do pray that he would eventually come to know you, that he would come to grasp the reality and the, the weightiness of what he's done. But Father, we pray that tomorrow we would rejoice in, in you, showing you being a, a God of, of justice and love. And Father, we pray for the family of Dana Flugi. We ask, God, that you would be with them in their grief as they prepare for a funeral and for the weeks beyond. And God, just ask for comfort and, uh, and for gospel preaching from Pastor Tony over at Zion, that uh, people would come to know you through, through that uh, event as well and for the many years beyond. And so, Father, as we come together here today, all of us have burdens, all of us have struggles. And Lord, we lay them at your feet. You're the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and many of us are. Pray that we would see you more clearly, that we would desire you more, um, more, um, more, <laughs> in, more uh, in a hard way, that we would, we would press into you. And God, as we lift our voices, Lord, would, would we do so not forgetting those hard things that we're going through, but in spite of them, knowing that you are working in the midst of them, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Amen. Well, the prophet Isaiah, 2,700 years ago, as Israel was facing a catastrophic time, he had a vision of the Lord in the temple. And the first song that we'll sing, Holy is the Lord, uh, comes from that. So let me read once again here from Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, we can think about the holiness of God and how we're here to praise him. Uh, for his holiness. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations and thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So let's stand together and sing, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. We stand and lift up our hands. Worship Him now, how great 
be seated. At this time, I'd like to invite our worship team to have a seat, and we'll have Dick Lilienthal come up to play the, the big upright bass here, and we have Janelle, who's going to sing for us along with uh, her mom and her sister. And Benjamin will play his guitar.
uh, the lunatics have taken over the asylum and I just don't feel at home in this world anymore. And it's good to know that our ultimate home is, is not here where there's uh, corruption and, and heartache and difficulty, but that uh, we have a home with Christ. So let's invite our uh, worship team back up if uh, Stephanie and Amelia want to join us. Uh, and let's stand together once again uh, and we'll sing. But as we sing this song, children ages three to five, they can be dismissed for children's church. So let's sing, uh, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. it be the one who died has borne our sin through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death sing sing hallelujah for joy awakes as dawning light when christ disciples lift their eyes alive he stands their friend and Christ, Christ, he is risen. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Where doubt and darkness once had been, saw him and their hearts believe but blessed are those who have not seen yet sing hallelujah once bound by fear now bold in faith they preach the truth and power of grace pouring out their lives they gain life life everlasting
Father in heaven, we praise you. Christ has risen. He's overcome the power and sin and death. And that power works within us. It reconciles us to you through his sacrifice. Our payment for our sin has been made. And we live in newness of life, despite the hardships that come our way. Um, we thank and praise you for that. Father, this is good news. And we pray that as Pastor Mike opens up to Ephesians again today, that uh, this good news might be proclaimed and be heard and take root in our hearts, uh, that Mora, uh, that Emmanuel here in Mora might be uh, a lighthouse to this community, that folks might come to know you uh, and seek to make you known, that their lives may be uh, made new. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you have your copy of God's perfect and holy word, I invite you to open up to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we're going to be in chapter 1 today, looking at uh, how to pray. We're sort of rebuilding the foundation of our church. Last week, we, we looked at uh, the reasons why we praise and, and the reasons why God is good and, and worthy in that way. And today, we're going to, uh, to seek to learn how to engage God in prayer. So Ephesians chapter 1 will be in verses 15 through 23. Um, you know, James Holzhauer was a man that uh, has made a household name for himself just a few, uh, few years ago when he had an epic 32-episode uh, run on Jeopardy, reaching the highest amount of money in the shortest amount of time of, of anyone in Jeopardy's history. Uh, he holds all 10 spots for single-episode earnings, with his top one winning in one game of Jeopardy, $131,127. If any of you watch Jeopardy, that's a lot of, of money. Part of his strategy comes from his day job, which in which he is a professional sports gambler, and so he knows where to put his money when he needs to do it. But yet, even if you're on a show like Jeopardy, you really can't even do that well unless you can back it up with your, your sheer intelligence. Uh, he's currently on a game show called The Chase, which is uh, where contestants try to challenge trivia all-stars. So Ken Jennings has been on there, and James Holzhauer's on there quite a bit. I've only seen a few episodes, but I've yet to see one when any challenger beats James Holzhauer. He is just that, uh, he is that smart. Now, we're big Jeopardy fans over at the Rue House. We, if we're at home at 4.30 and we have a spare half an hour, chances are Jeopardy is going to be on uh, the television. And I remember following James when his run was, was going on, and, and I was in awe of not only his fortitude in throwing all of his chips in the center of the table on daily doubles, but also just his sheer intelligence. This guy is smart, and that's one thing, but he's also quick on his feet. He can recall facts and information under intense pressure. The only kind of trivia I'm good at is useless trivia, like 90s pop culture trivia and 1980s professional wrestling data and stuff like that. So how does a guy like James Holzhauer do what he does? How does he learn so much information? Well, it turns out that in order to prepare for his, his Jeopardy appearance, he would go to his local library and check out tons of children's books that were all about uh, trivia and facts. 
And so he would go to the simplest form and source that he could to find quick and diverse facts that were beneficial to him. So here's this guy that is larger than life right now in the trivia world. And most of his trivia comes from consulting the most basic information and being able to apply it. And as we continue to lay the foundation of our, our church today and our structure and our, of our remodel, Paul brings us to the most basic thing that we need to do as Christians. That is to pray. Whether we are new to the faith or whether we are seasoned believers, this is crucial for our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. One could argue, in fact, that if someone does not pray, then that person may not know God at all. And while prayer is essential in the Christian life, none of us are masters. All of us ought to ask Jesus as the disciples did when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. So like James Holzhauer, we're going to go back to the beginnings and the simplest things that we can of Christianity. How to pray and what to pray for. How to pray uh, on, uh, uh, for our church and for us as individuals. And thankfully, we don't need to go to the library in order to get children's books. Everything that we have, that, uh, we have what we need right here in Paul's words to us, to the Ephesians. Now, I know that you've sort of been up and down, but I sort of want to change the feel here. We need to revere God's word, so I'm going to ask you to stand just once more as we read God's word out of reverence for him and what he has to say for us. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. It'll be on the screen uh, behind me. For this reason, Paul writes, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and given him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would illumine our hearts today, that we would be able to engage you more, uh, more closely and deeply through prayer. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. So let's look at three basic things to pray for, for our church and for individual members of, from Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. The first is, is that we ought to pray that we would know God better. Pray that we would know God better. Paul starts off this section by springboarding off of what he has written in verses 3 through 14 
uh, which we saw last week, was all about the greatness of our Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We saw that God the Father chooses and adopts. God the Son secures our salvation, and the Holy Spirit applies that salvation. And based on that amazing truth now, he launches into describing how he prays for them. He says, for this reason. Well, what reason is that? Well, there's probably, uh, uh, it goes back to what we found here in, in verses 3 through 14. It says, for those reasons, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's probably an unwritten conjunction there. Because I have heard of your faith and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So before we get into any of the ABCs here of what prayer looks like for, for us in regard to our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and for our church, can we just stop a second and see that God calls us to be thankful for our church? I don't know what your prayer life is like, but it would be very beneficial for you and for me and the church as a whole and for the glory of God just to say, thank you, Lord, for Emmanuel Baptist Church. You know, we are not perfect in any stretch of the imagination. We've certainly had some dark days in our past, but God has done some crazy amazing things and good things in our church all the way back to its establishment back in 1937. Some of you are recipients of his faithfulness to this church. The fact that you're here, the fact that you are still in the faith, the fact that you are still worshiping is a testimony to the Lord of what he has established here. God has been very good and he has been very kind to us and we owe him some praise and thanks for this church. And with that being said, we have to keep moving on. Verse 16, he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So one thing that we ought to take note of here in Paul's prayer is how unlike our prayers this is. It's not wrong and it's not unbiblical to pray for things like uh, each other's health and our well-being and uh, for our daily lives just to sort of get through the day um, or whatever else might dominate our sweet spirit of prayer. But how many of us pray for our brothers and sisters here at Emmanuel Baptist Church that we would know God better, that we would come closer to him in relationship through that knowledge, that they would grow in, his, in the knowledge of his word, and then also the wisdom to apply it into daily life. It's, it's one thing just to know his word. It's a whole other thing to apply it in wisdom, that the Spirit would guide us in that. The unfortunate reality is, is that many of us see salvation simply as a, a, an end. You know, once you're saved, you're, you're all good. We don't think enough about the need to grow in our faith and grow specifically in our knowledge of God more. We'll ask for prayers for situations and health and decisions that, that need to be made. But how many of us have even honestly gone to a brother and sister and asked them, can you pray that I would understand my Bible better? 
Can you pray for me that I would make knowing God a priority in my life and in the life of my family? Or that his truth would permeate everything that we do? Or that the wisdom of his word would keep us from the many evils that so easily entangle us in this world? If these have ever been your prayer requests, man, I got a high five for you after, after service today. But for the rest of us, however, asking for a greater knowledge of the closeness to God in relationship through prayer and His Word, that's non-existent for a lot of us. The evidence of our lack of prayer in this is, is all around us. I'm saved, you say, so I have no need to attend Sunday school and grow in my understanding of God and, and community with others. I'm saved, you say, so I really don't feel the need to know my Bible more deeply or engage God more closely in that. I'm saved, you say, I have a relationship with God, therefore I don't need to go to church regularly. I'm saved, you say, but church membership isn't necessary, nor is any kind of formal commitment to church. I'm saved, you say, but being saved is only just the beginning. The hard work hasn't even begun yet. It is not until you become saved that the difficult work of plowing the field and planting the field and seeing growth happens takes place. It is not until we become Christians that we become a target for the evil and demonic forces of this world. It isn't until after we are saved that the work of fighting for faith and joy begins. We often cease to pray or to work toward encouraging each other to know God better at the point of salvation, simply thinking that being saved is going to drive the car home. But friends, many of us are snoozing at the wheel. And we are heading over those rumble bars and we are going into the ditch thinking that everything is okay. How are we going to get there without the grace of God fueled by the prayers of the saints? Imagine with me for a moment that a man gets married. He comes home from his honeymoon. He sits down on the couch and he folds his arms and says... Well, that's done. I guess I'm good to go now. And has no desire. Yeah, some of you that are laughing have been married more than five minutes. Because you know that marriage takes work. Even the best ones take work. I tell the couples that I do premarital counseling with that I'm really not all that interested in the wedding. I am more interested in the marriage. I'm more interested in creating a foundation by which you grow into lifelong love for each other, growing year by year together more closely to each other and to God. Any marriage that simply, th that simply thinks that they've arrived once the ring goes on will eventually come to the point in which they say, you know, I don't even know this person who I, who I married. Life has passed us by and 
I'm not all that interested in this person anymore. So what's the problem? Well, part of the problem could be that they did not pursue knowing each other more and delighting in that process. Likewise, many of us don't, seem, don't see the need to water the garden of our faith through knowing God more and more. We've become complacent. We've, we've gotten into this feedback loop. We aren't growing in God more, and so we aren't motivated to pray that we would see God more and more. We aren't motivated to pray that others would know God more and more, and then when we don't do that, we are showing examples when we come to church of that, and it catches on like wildfire. The next person, then they don't do it. Then the next person, and they don't do it. And soon, we become a church that is filled with people who only care about themselves and their own preferences. Friends, when that happens, it doesn't take very long, relatively speaking, for the church to put the for sale sign out on the front yard. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our church. We need to grow more. That, as verse 18a says, that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Enlightened to His goodness. Enlightened to more of the knowledge of our need for Him. Enlightened to the wicked ways of the world and the peace that is only in Him. Enlightened to His grace and glory and His plan for His church. We need to pray that we would know God more. And second, we need to pray that we would know the hope that we are called to. We should know the hope that we are called to. Just like the knowledge of, of God ought to increase, our understanding of the hope that we are called to ought to be progressive. The Christian idea of hope is nothing like the world defines it. Our world defines hope as, as nothing but wishful thinking. I hope that the Vikings will win the Super Bowl this year, or at least one game. I hope that I can get a nap in after church today. I hope that this Hollywood strike doesn't affect the Christmas season on the Hallmark Channel. I just don't know. These are things that uh, are possibilities, but they're just wishes. They're uncertainties. Biblical hope, on the other hand, isn't just wishful thinking. It is confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. It is a knowing, trusting, and believing that what God said and what He promised to us is going to come true. And the hope that Paul wants the Ephesians to settle into and grow deeper in of all the riches that God has for us is described again in verses 3 through 14. It's piggybacking right on those verses. It's a hope that you and I, we just didn't stumble into salvation. We didn't just stumble into knowing God and hearing the gospel or that God is only reacting to events, but that God has in His sovereign will chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. It is a hope to know that uh, He adopted us and wasn't forced to. 
that he did so out of love for us. And that he chose every one of us who are in Christ to not just be saved from the curse of sin, but chose them to be his cherished and beloved possession. Friends, if you are in Christ, you are God's beloved possession. That is a great hope. And this hope, this sure confidence, isn't just wishful thinking. It shows plainly in the object of our hope, Christ Jesus, a Savior in whose blood we have redemption from and forgiveness of sin. There's a hope, a bold confidence that when we look out on the landscape of our culture, that though these things seem to continue to get worse and worse, there is coming a day in which God the Father is going to give authority to his Son, Jesus Christ, over all things. All wickedness and rebellion against God will be held in judgment. And those who have been redeemed will receive the crown of life. Just take a second to think about what will that day be like when sin is no more? When every reaction you have, every interaction that you have is not tainted by some self-motivation. When you can no longer hurt or be hurt. Or that day when there will be no more loss. It will all be glory in Christ Jesus. We sing now the words of the old hymn, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. That is the hope that we are called to. We need to pray for each other and for our church that we would know what is the hope to which he has called us. It's, this calling here is an urgent invitation These times aren't getting better, folks. They're not going to be getting better. We need to know this hope. We need to know that the dawn comes just after the darkest and coldest part of the night. We need to know that the sun is just indeed about to peak up over the horizon. And we need to know and know more deeply that though we are maybe on the wrong side of history right now, according to our culture, we are on the right side of eternity. And glory be to God. And in the second part of verse 18, notice that Paul says that part of the call that is to realize what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I'm not sure if you picked up what he's meaning there. The big question is, what are these riches of his inheritance? these riches are you and me. We are his glorious inheritance. And it's astounding because if you take just a moment and ponder on the qualifications for being God's treasured prize, it wouldn't take you very long to see that there's nothing about us that's prize-worthy or attention-grabbing. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not good-looking enough. We didn't, uh, we didn't come from a, a good enough family. You might, hu- you might hoodwink 
a few people here and there with your charm and beauty, but it doesn't get anywhere with God. Rather, verse 4 tells us that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Friends, we are his treasured possession simply because he wanted us to be. We who were well ingrained and happy enough in this world of sin and rebellion against him, he chose us to be different. Whereas we were totally unqualified. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. That he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. Hear these words again. The forgiveness of sin. This is the hope that we are called to. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by, uh, by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brothers and sisters, your church needs you to pray this for them. You need to pray this for you. So pray that we would know the hope that we are called to. And third and finally, pray that we would know the greatness of God's power toward us. The final thing that Paul gives us insight here is prayer, that, that uh, we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe according to the working of his great power. Paul's words here would have been a a delightful encouragement to the people in Ephesus. Remember that the, the, the members of the church at Ephesus came out of a magical background, a, a pagan background, yes, but a background that was also fueled by the magical arts. And it was deeply entrenched in their culture. And, and the word that Paul uses here in the ESV, the, the word great, isn't found anywhere else in the Greek Old, the, the Greek, uh, Old Testament version but it is found in a number of inscriptions that have been found throughout Ephesus in the magical incantations and literature that they have found. And the people of this church then were rescued from this idea 
from being held captive by these local deities that had extraordinary power in their eyes. And Paul recognizes that even after they're saved, they need to trust in the supreme power of God and not return to their previous paganism, nor mix and intertwine that old paganism with their new faith in Christ. And the same is true for us. We are not to return to our old behaviors of who we are before we knew Christ. That is who we used to be. We are dead to that. We need the power of God, not just in our rescue, but in keeping in with his love. And Paul's laboring here for us because both in the Ephesian context and in our own context here, it is easy to fall into the erroneous view that God's power is equal to the powers of darkness. There's a belief even in some Christian circles that the struggle between good and evil are equal together. A yin and yang understanding of the power of God and the, the power of Satan. But Paul wants us to have none of that nonsense. Paul wants us here to see, and he's primed the pump back in verse 11 when he wrote that God works all things out according to the counsel of his will. So rather than saying that there's this, this cosmic struggle between the good and the bad, the evil and, and, and the righteous, Paul is saying that everything that happens in this world, good and evil, petty and weighty, is ultimately part of his plan. The forces of evil might think that they are simply playing chess, but God has already claimed checkmate. And to show what his power is like, he describes the power that he has done. Look in verse 19. He says that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So don't lose Paul's point in this rich Christology here. Paul's point is that the same power that is in you is the very same power that he used to raise Christ from the dead. Bring him back to life, raise him up, and seat him at his right hand. This power is working in you. This isn't a power that you possess. It's God's power that is working in and through us. And Paul prays this because he knows how easily we forget and neglect the power that is ours in Christ Jesus. If we truly knew the power of God working within our lives and pursued it, what would happen in our church? If we truly knew the power of God and pursued it, what would happen in our individual lives? What would happen in our marriages? What would happen in our parenting, in our community? You need to pray this for your church. I need to pray this for our church. We need to pray this for each other, for our members. Paul gives us a little glimpse of, of what this means here in verse 22 when he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So get this. The one who rules every atom of the universe has a special affection for the church. Not the government, not some community group, not the Lions Club, not whatever it is. His affection is for the church. He loves the church. And if we ask his power to live and move through our congregation and our city, we could see some pretty amazing things happen here. But sadly, many of us are far too easily satisfied with safe prayers. Do you know what I mean by safe prayers? Ones that you can pray and more than likely it could happen on its own even if you hadn't prayed. Contrasted to risky prayers. We would rather pray safe prayers than risk failure. Friends, the power that, that God worked in Christ, just as we sung a few minutes ago, is working in us. We must pray that we would know it, ask for it, receive it, recognize it, and then get out of its way. Pray that we would know the greatness of God's power toward us. Friends, if you want to make it on Jeopardy, and it is possible, I've known two people that have been on Jeopardy. It's just two, right? Have we known any more? A mother and a son. Actually, it's kind of interesting. Perhaps you need to follow James Holzhauer and go over to the Mora Public Library tomorrow. Go to the children's section. Get some books on facts or go find your local Usborne dealer and get yourself some quiz-type books. But James Holzhauer is only gaining knowledge to regurgitate it on a quiz show. You and I are not preparing for a quiz show. We are preparing for eternity. And the stakes are much, much higher. Let's go back to the basics, praying that we would know God more, praying that we would know what the hope is that we are called to, and pray that we would know and experience the great power of God that is working in us, through us, and for us. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help renew our prayer life. Lord, that we would not only pray for the needs of our days, but Lord, also that we would pray boldly, pray risky prayers for our church. I pray that we would know God more. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of Christ, that we would know what the hope is that we are called to, not just factually, but experientially. And Lord, I pray that we would know and experience the, the great power that you have through us and is working in us and for us. Lord, 
I pray that you would protect us from the evil one, Lord, for when you are doing good works in the midst of your people, in the, in the context of a church, Lord, we know that Satan is going to up his antics. And so, Father, I pray that through this knowledge, you would protect us and that you would not just have us hide behind a shield, but that you would have us press further and further onto the goal of knowing Christ Jesus and reaching a world that needs to know him. Father, I pray knowing that there are people here today that have not known Christ Jesus, that have not seen his power, that have not been saved from their sins, that have not received the forgiveness. God, I pray that you would pierce their heart today with the knowledge of the truth, Lord, that they are dead in their sins and they need your revival. And so would you do that work? Would you quicken dead hearts? And would you, God, raise the saints up now to be mighty warriors for you and your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name that I ask this. Amen. Amen. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. So let's stand together and sing this great hymn together, This Is My Father's World. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hands of wonders this is my father's word. The birds, the carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's word. He shines in Lord is King. 
let the heavens ring, God reigns, let earth be glad. Together. Indeed, Lord, this is your world. Lord, you own it, you created it, we are yours. So use us, God, in the knowledge of who you are through the power of the gospel. And it's in Christ's name that we ask this. Amen. Well, thank you for coming. Be blessed. If we could have some folks stick around and stack chairs for Awana, that would be much appreciated. Thank you.